0: Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm Jeff Rutherford, and you can find me on Instagram at Jeff Rutherford. And I'm joined on today's podcast by my co-host, Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. And you can find Elaine on Instagram at Messy Goat. And our guest today is quilter Hollis Turnbow. Hollis has been making quilts since the 1970s, and he's going to tell us all about that. And Hollis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I guess I should ask you: um, Do you have an Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I don't. Okay, that's fine. So I, um, I keep seeing it pop up on my computer and say, "What is this?" Okay. Someday I will do. Okay, okay.
0: Well, so I guess let's get started by. Um, I mentioned at the at the um, you know a moment ago that you got started in the nineteen seventies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did you get started quilting?
1: Well. It started back when we bought the first house in the 60s, and my wife at that time saw a wall hanging that was embroidered but very different than anything I had ever done. Now, I grew up in a house full of needleworkers, and when you grow up like that, you just simply learn things you don't know you're learning. So uh, I it was not embroidery on cup towels and things like that. So we decided to do that, and I was kind of fascinated by it because what we were doing, and I took a class from a rather well-known embroiderer from England, and it was basically art rather than just embroidery. Uh, We were taking um, uh, different textures of of yarn and thread, uh, using the same stitch to see what kind of a, a, a look it would give us. So I was doing that, and it was before the bicentennial, so I decided, hey, this is kind of interesting. I'll develop a class called uh, Art and Needlework and and uh, and uh, introduce people to primarily the older techniques that were used. And it, things were popular at that point, you know, uh, thinking about the, uh, our heritage. So I did one class for a local recreation department one day, I got the call from the director and said, hey, do you know anything about quilting? And I said, yes. Keep in mind, she didn't ask me if I could do it. She said, do you know anything about it? Because I grew up in a house full of quilters. And as a kid, I played under the quilts and I put it in the frame, et cetera, et cetera. So it was fascinating. So I just simply started teaching. And back during those days, there were not men doing it. We knew about husbands who threaded the needles but they didn't really ever put it to, put it to, to a fabric. And, uh, there were about five men who gained some recognition as, as quilters during that time. And this was, this was a couple of three years before the bicentennial. So it just blossomed from that, uh, and started, um, teaching and, um, and, and lecturing. And that's the way I got started and just kind of, Grew up with the the resurgence of the movement that happened in the late '60s and primarily before the bicentennial. And didn't you say that you had grown up around some some quilters? Um, oh yeah, I had I had uh, two aunts and and grandmother, uh, grandmother and grandfather who lived out on the farm, and the aunts, of course, were unmarried. lived there. and every winter they had a quilt hanging from the ceiling, and I have to think that during those days, there was no central heat, so quilts were cover at night. And uh, and finally, one, one year, I, I asked uh, an aunt who was still living, you know, why the proliferation quilts. She said, well, they had them to, to cover with. And they were ordinary quilts. They were not fine quilts, you know, but they, they were simple to cover. And again, it's like If you remember the uh, movie How to Make an American Quilt, how the little girl played under the quilt while they were doing it, well, I did that and uh, just simply learned about it. And living on the farm, it was something you did, even to the point of um, they couldn't afford to buy prepared quilt batting, so I could remember seeing them sit out with the cotton that they had grown with their carters actually making the little battings that went into quilts. So uh, you might say I was exposed in the very primitive uh, way that grills were made. So it was something I just grew up with. It was part of the family heritage. Sure. That kind of reminds me. Go ahead, Elaine.
2: That that sounds awesome. I I just found myself wondering if you started with embroidery, and this is just maybe an obnoxious and name dropping, but did you um, happen to know Pat Flynn Kaiser?
1: I know the name.
2: She was um very active with the Embroiderers Guild and traveled all over the world mm-hmm. but she's she's from Texas and then moved to Huntsville, Alabama with the space program and that's where I'm from and she was one of my moms. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I grew up with her and she's the reason I quilt. So it was another embroiderer
1: um, uh, another embroiderer that did it. So
2: Yeah. It was it her work was absolutely incredible, and so it was
1: it so. i I can't even recall the name of the uh, of the English needle worker, but she was quite uh, quite well known and and i I took a class at the Smithsonian because I was not uh, to do the wall hanging required a lot more technique than I really had and so i I took the class. Uh, she came to us. I lived near washington, d c. at the time. so I saw that she was going to be in town. And so I went down and and uh, signed up a class at the Smithsonian. And I walked in that night, and here's this room full of women. They looked at me, you know, like, who are you?" And I looked at them, I said, "Well, I was sent to integrate this group now when when well, you were talking about the 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 cotton
0: batting, it made me think, um at my local guild here in Northampton, massachusetts last uh last sunday we had our um holiday meeting of the year and um one of the quilters was telling a story that she started buying a lot of um antique quilts and um just quilt tops that have never been quilted going to tag sales and to to um uh you know to to goodwill and places and she was saying that she started um she got one and she started washing it and the water was turning red and she couldn't figure out because there was no red fabric in the quilt. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that she opened the quilt up and they had used for the batting like a red blanket. Mm-hmm. Not even, you know, this was before the, the years of professional batting that you go and buy in a.
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they used whatever they had at a, at a quilt show. Oh, some years ago, there was an antique dealer next to the booth that, that I was working in. And they were at that point ripping apart an old quilt. And inside it had actually had pieces of, of wool clothing. I remember seeing a, a child's uh, coat, uh, and, and, you know, they would cut them actually so that they would, that they would fit into, it. you know, and one way that you can tell, uh, really a true vintage quilt is if you open it up and the cotton still has the little brown flecks in it because see, they would, they would actually, uh, pick the cotton mm-hmm. and then strip it out and try to get the seed out. And right. It didn't always get the seed out. So that's one way that, that, that quilts are, are, are done. And they would make little, little pillows, you know, that was probably about, uh, Oh, I don't know, six by eight inches. And they would lay in there and it had to be he- fairly heavily quilted or all, or all of that was going to shift. Right. see, And in, in the continued, in the continued washing. So, but then, then of course, uh, uh, about the same time that I was teaching was when um, Jenny Byer, you know, became well known. And I always tell people that one of my greatest honors was one year, about 1979, is actually carrying her quilt Ray of Light <laughs> from San Francisco to to, to Los Angeles for a quilt show. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean,
0: because, you know, as you just said, you, you got started in the late 60s, and then you started teaching in the early 70s before the bicentennial, and you've been pretty much – you know, witness to what we have today, which is a billion dollar industry, um, with, you know, um, local quilt stores across the U S and, you know, obviously overseas as well. I'm just curious, what, what, what have you seen in terms of the major changes? Because I'm assuming when you got started, there weren't, um, uh, rotary cutters, there weren't, um, uh, cutting mats. So I'm just curious what 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 has been your experience of watching this thing that you love grow into
1: this, you know, huge industry? Um, better tools and technology. And of course the first thing that we began to see was the rotary cutter. And of course some of us who started back then as you didn't you didn't tell people you used the rotary cutter except only in the privacy of your own home. Because it was not authentic, right, a much
2: uh, like machine quilting and then long arm quilting, and oh yeah.
1: my mach- machine quilting, you know, for years, I said, uh, I remember at a quilt show in, in Houston uh several years ago, there was a beautiful machine quilting, not the long arm, and people were aghast <laughs> that, you know we're desecrating the uh, you know the craft with with this." But then, on the other hand, there is a quilt in the Smithsonian dated about 1890 that is machine quilted. So it's like anything; as we see, as we see new technology and better tools, uh, you know, we adapt those to what we're doing. Sure. So, can you tell us a little bit about the quilts that you're making today, personally? Well, basically, what I'm doing because I'm I'm and not doing a lot of teaching and i don't need quilts for the bed and i don't know people who need quilts. <laughs> I, I do a lot of charity work uh, very very simple quilts uh and i do a lot of work for the quilts of valor because those folks don't like to do the bindings and i do <laughs> so uh, i do a lot of bindings for that so i i, I do that kind of work now because um I do a lot of your simple things. I call them my B&P quilts. And if I could say this, it's burp and poop. (laughs) Very simple things. Doesn't take long to make them, and they're to be abused, lovingly abused, and used. And uh, I can do these fast, and uh, they're not patchwork. I just use one interesting piece of cloth uh, for the top and something for the backing, and just straight-line machine quilted. And I can put a lot of them out, you know, for those and give them to the hospitals, uh, veterans' homes, nursing homes, etc. So that's basically what I what I do. Occasionally, I'll do something that um, is a little bit different. I have a bucket list this long of things that one day <laughs> I want to sit down and and uh, and uh, you know really do these. You know, I have I have places and people that I would like to make a quilt for. So. But I and should
0: we should we point out your age, for
1: those who may not know,
2: twenty nine and holding. Well,
1: last October I was, What's that twenty
2: nine and holding.
1: And I'm not, I'm not but if you re- reduce the number, that's closer. No, <laughs> I was born in 1930. Wow, that's great. So that may be 1992, uh, I guess so. And, you know, still healthy. My mother lived to be 97. So, uh, good health. I haven't had COVID yet. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But I also wear my mask every time I go out. Yeah.
0: I hear you. So, so um, I'm curious. Are you doing the, you mentioned, you know, straight line quilting. So, you're doing the, the, the quilting on your
1: uh, machine. And what kind of machine are you using? I use a regular domestic sewing machine. I laugh and say I break out in hives when I go even pass by one of these newfangled things. But I, I do teach basic machine quilting on, on the domestic machine. Uh, it, it, it can be done because people don't have, don't have the big news. And, and again, like a lot of things I say, I, I fought it for years until I learned to do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> And and I, I do have I have a, a Janome Horizon machine which has the wider uh, wider bus which which fits those things. And I've I've quilted all the way up to a queen size quilt on on that. And it's just a matter of uh, uh, you know preparing it right so you can stuff it into the machine. So, and 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 I I have to put this little plug in. I I, I teach differently than other folks. I tend to think that too often when, when people are learning on their domestic machine, uh, they're subjected to classes that are really too complicated. So when I teach, I teach four shapes, a loop, a squiggle, a sharp point, and then that kind of a straight line. And that's all you need. What, what you need to you learn know, that years ago, I had an awful job. I hated it. Hated it. Uh, it, it was doing basic motion time study, We have a stopwatch, you know, and it was a place they were reviewing uh, applications or something, you know, and I tend to think about that, you know, break it down to the very simplest steps. And if you learn those four shapes, you can do anything with it.
2: Yeah. I do very much the same. I There were, um, in the 70s and 80s, and Jeff may remember this, when we were growing up, they would have these uh, drawing notebooks, instructions where you'd start with a little curved line and then add a hook on it and then add this other thing. And at the end of it, you'd have a recognizable shape, and it would be a cat. And then you could repeat that shape yeah. over and over. Mm-hmm. And I remember those. And you are absolutely right. Everything that you do in free motion quilting is based on the loop, the you know the curve, the and sharp point, poem. and the p- line. Yeah.
1: yeah. See what what I what I like to do in a class. I say now when you start, you remember a, a Palmer method of penmanship. <laughs> And these folks look at me and say, What's that? Yeah. But it's that same motion mm-hmm. that we, you know, the, the freedom of it. And so it, I, I don't know whether it's physics or whatever, but if you break it down into the simplest movements and you repeat those, then you can do anything. I tell you that I, I have to say this, that the greatest compliment I ever got, I think. Was I was teaching at an event in which earlier in the in the in the week uh, there had been other machine domestic machine quilting classes taught, and I was the last class of the of, of of the event. So at the end of the class, I asked if there were any questions, and one woman, one student back in the back, stood up and says, "Yeah says." I took a class in machine quilting the other day, and now I know what it's all about. That's great,
2: yeah, hmm. well, imagine explaining the mechanics of it
1: that's made right. all the
2: difference, yes,
1: it's not sit down and go fast no and and that's what that's what happens and they do fancy feathers, oh yeah, 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 spread right up and do a fancy feather but but yeah, you gotta learn how to do the curve before you can do the fancy feather, sure. Well well, I know that um
0: at one point there was a um video online and I'm just curious do you know if it's still
1: there of your binding technique is it on YouTube Oh yeah if if you go to the website com, okay under videos i think it's number 106 got
0: it okay um well i know you know uh some of those videos are are you know longer and we don't have you know an hour or two but can you tell us a little bit about your your um what you've learned over the years about binding and what you would recommend in terms of binding?
1: Okay, number one is most all instructions that you see about binding refer to a quarter inch seam. The only time you need a quarter inch seam is if you're doing a binding and the patchwork comes out to the edge of the quilt. And you only have a quarter of an inch that you can do it. If you have a border shape, then you can do anything. And there's a direct relationship to the width you cut your binding and your seam allowance. I cut my binding two and a half with a three-eighths inch seam, and that's just enough for it to turn over and fill the binding. <coughs> what, one, what we want to do is the binding, or the quilt fills the binding, the one thing. And the theory that if it doesn't, that section that is not, does not have your quilt in it, wears uh, more easily than if it was filled. You know, this is the theory that we have. So the first thing you need to do is the consistency of the seam. Whatever your seam allowance is, the consistency, and it needs to be consistent all the way down to the end of the quilt. And it's so easy because it happened with me to lose control the last two inches. And those feed dogs are gonna do what it wants to do, not what you want it to do. One time I was doing a binding and all of a sudden I discovered my hands weren't able on the quilt. <laughs> so you need to be very careful coming down to the seam. Then when you turn it, then and fold like all the instructions say for your miter is to make sure that you start the allowance the same. Those are really the first two things that, that are extremely important. And, and if, also, if you consistently use the same width, same seam allowance, be cautious if you have a different batting than you're accustomed to use. See, I use one batting consistently, so I know that that works. But sometime in Quilts of Valor, I get a batting that's thicker. See, so it's not good. So you need to test it uh, in in order in in order to do it. Now, the directions will always say come down to quarter inch. We're saying quarter inch. Quarter well, I come down to three eighths of an inch. Student one time said something that, that she had had a, uh, class that says stop one or two stitches before you get to that point. And I said, why? I says, well, allow for the fold. And it makes sense. We do, we do scant quarter inch to allow for the fold, right? And think about how big that fold is when you come down. So you're really doing. You don't have a quarter of an inch or three eighths of an inch, so stop one or two stitches beforehand, and your and your corner will miter much easier. But then make sure, and then when you come back, it's always better when you join them together. You join them on an angle because your eye does not see that. Your eye sees a straight. Your eye tends to stop. If you see a straight, it will not stop if you see an angle. And there are a lot of methods, uh, you know, to do that. Sure. To do that. But those are things, consistency, be slow, be conscious of of the width of your binding. If if I'm doing a, a quarter inch seam, then I probably would cut the binding down to two and a quarter. See, otherwise. Right. And if you uh, if you're using a directional fabric, which I love to do, I, I love to get a fabric that has a little twirly vine in it, cut according to the design, and not the thread, and not the evenness of the fabric. That that pertains to, to dots and and plaids or checks or, or whatever. To to me, the, the binding is is the, is what it frames everything, and I've seen so many wonderful quilts, but yet the binding is lousy. <laughs> I think the reason that I became more conscious about that is is years and years ago I I did a lot of quilt judging with a with a quilter, I did it you know over the years several times. That was the first thing she looked was the binding, so that that made me far more conscious with with it. So.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about your quilt judging. Can you tell us about that? Um, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, you you kind of got your start again, you know, kind of at the beginning of when um, the the quilt judging started in what we know now as kind of you know modern quilting. Um, in
1: 1979, the National Quilting Association developed a certified judging program, and I was. Either the second or third person to be certified into that, you had to certify somebody to get started. And <laughs> and and, and, and a, a, a a friend quilter Thelma Barr who lived down in Washington D.C. She and I did it did it uh, did our certification on the same day. We always argued it was like twins, you know, whose certificate was signed first. <laughs> so. But uh, the, the certification program was far different then than it is now uh, because we, we were not seeing the, the variety of quilting that we have now. And it developed over the years. As we did, we added a more structured kind of program because when we did it that day, we just got in a room and we critiqued quilts. But now then, it developed into actual paperwork, that is required to really test one's knowledge and experience about uh, about quilts. I don't know what I happened. She left. She went away. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: I'm uh, here. You can probably hear me. Yep. It's just my oh, video yes, not is not working.
1: And then when the National Quilting Association folded several years ago, I knew uh, all of uh, us who were certified uh, organized uh, a, a continuing group called National Association of certified Court judges so the program is still going and what it does it does it does give some structure uh, to the judging process it in many ways it takes the prejudice out because I have I have uh, been in the room and seen people judge who judged on what they preferred uh, many many years ago at a at a quilt show, which I won't mention, uh, the, the the same three people continually judged every year. One was a very traditional quilter, one was the editor of a magazine, and another one had a business that related to uh, to quilting. And there were complaints that would come back about how can one person give me zero and another one give me a hundred on something because they judged the way they saw it or what they're so it it has added structure to it and and a lot of respect to the uh, to the process and make sure that the person has had uh, uh, both education and experience
2: that's valuable i've I've been part you know judged in shows where you did have to consider what the judge liked mm hmm before you entered and that's that's not good because it shuts out a lot of incredible work
1: mm-hmm. it was i was at a vendor at a show several years ago and as i was setting up the booth uh, the judge who was kind of a well-known i'm not sure what what she taught in that area and all i could hear her say was my students would never do it that way my students would never do it that way so uh, it took uh, it, it 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 has added you know a lot of respect to it and and people do and and depending on the individual and in the show sometimes I like to I like to do constructive comments mm-hmm. you know comments that that congratulate the person as well as uh, something that might tend to improve and I know a comment I made sometime as. If you intend to enter this in a larger quilt show, you might want to consider whatever the situation was. Because I knew it would never pass in the next one. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, and those kind of comments can be so valuable. I mean, those kind of comments train me to be ultra picky about my binding, and now I am a binding snob. So, all the things <laughs> that you were saying, I totally agree with. I'm binding.
1: Because it doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything if I say binding needs improvement.
2: Right, right. You might want to trim or make sure your binding is filled all the way to the edge. I mean, that
1: That's-
2: great, great comments. And I've never had a judge tell me something about one of my quilts that I didn't already know if I was really honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean. But yeah, so thank you for that for being part of the pioneering group that probably made that happen. So good on you.
1: Well, you know, it, I, I I laugh and say that I'm a vintage quilter. You know, I'm I'm I've been in it at, at the point that vintage is what is vintage fifty years. <laughs> you know, uh, vintage not not an age and. I've seen a lot of things, and it's interesting that I, I have been part of things. For instance, back in 1978, when the Postal Service issued the first postage stamp commemorating honor and quilting, I was involved with that process uh, down in West Virginia, issued in West Virginia. Had lunch with uh, Sharon Rockefeller, the governor's wife, you know. And, uh, and so there, there's been a lot of things that... Uh, you know that I've, I've been there. I I won't say it's like Forrest Gump, but in some it and have met celebrities. You know, met met. Um, well, don't you have an Oscar? Oh yes. I, well, that happened. That <laughs> tell, tell us that story. Tell that story. Yes. Okay. I I I, I was in the army during the Korean thing. And People still say, you know, thank you for your service. I said, well, thank you because I spent several months in the South Pacific swimming in the, in the lagoons, you know, and said, well, how come? Well, I was attached to a unit that, that was um, uh, testing the hydrogen and atom bombs in the Pacific. And uh, and then when I was discharged uh, out of the RV and before uh, going to school, I... Uh, I took a job with the Federal Civil Defense Administration. Excuse me, just, sure. just just a minute. And that was for one. That was for one of the last. Uh, that was for one of the last atomic tests in Nevada. So I spent five months out there. And the the emphasis that year was to test improvements in housing constructions from the prior test. And my specific job was to fin- furnish the houses, and all kinds of companies sent sent things in. Furniture companies uh, would, would sent furniture in. We we would put curtains on the windows, and uh, JC uh, there was a, a company called Darling Mannequin Company who sent mannequins that we set around and put in the bed. <laughs> and JC Penney provided all all the clothing and so forth, and so. 20th Century Fox made a documentary uh, and called it Survival City. And uh, it won an Academy Award that year. That's
0: actually, awesome. Actually, hold it over to the... It's not here, here I, I can't see it. Can you move it over? Yeah, there you go.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: So, so it, it won the Academy Award for the best documentary that year. So, anytime I did commit to theater, I always said that I, you know, I, I was in an Academy Award movie. So, one year my daughter was going to California for a quilt show. She stopped in the airport and had this one made for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was an awesome experience. And, uh, and uh, again, you know, over the years, you met, met people. Uh, uh, I have I to tell you about meeting Tony Tennille. Okay. This is a story that, that my daughter never fails to remind me of that. Well, at, at one of the very early quilt shows in Houston, uh, Cindy was there as a stencil company, and so we were all stuffed in, and so here walks down the aisle this this person who who was definitely not a quilter, and I'll never forget it, a black and white polka dot shirt waist blouse and a, and a black squirt, coiffed blonde hair. She's asked if we had a round stencil. And I said, Well, no, we don't. You know, go get a margarine lid. <laughs> you know, I, it, it. Meanwhile, I, I'm, I'm, know, my, my daughter was a child of the 70s. You know, she's having a fit back in the booth. <clears throat> I keep talking to Vision. See? And um, she said, I said, Well, she said, You have stones. I said, Yes, we have a catalog. Uh but there's an area in it, we need to send you there. And I look at her and I says, you know, I need your name. Cindy is under the table over here, you know, in, in embarrassment, you know it is. And I said, Your name? She says, Tony. And I said, And she says to Neil. So Cindy never forgets that. But Tony said that she she had learned to Georgia Bone Steel's method of quilt as you go, and it was gonna be <coughs> A lifesaver when she quilted on the airplane. That's great. Now, isn't that trivia that's going to enhance your life? Tony <laughs> <laughs> Daniel was a quilter.
2: It's fun. And you know, you know that celebrities love it when they're not recognized.
1: <laughs> that's exactly.
2: right. Yeah.
0: So, so you, man, so you mentioned your daughter, Cindy. She she runs a, a stencil company, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about yes. that?
1: Well, she got started back and, and actually, though, the the, uh, late 1980s, we had met a couple out of Canada, a stencil house that made plastic stencils, and they were only one of two companies that really had branched out. There were stencils made before that, but uh, these two companies were the ones that actually uh, went really commercial on it. And so we met them at a quilt show or two. They would come down into the States. <laughs> and then, um, I actually, they invited me into Canada to quilt show, uh, which I judged one time. So we had that kind of business relationship. And then the owners decided they no longer wanted to come down here. They wanted to stay back there and manufacture. So started, uh, uh, manufacturing for them. And then business just, you know, they, they seemed to go more paint stencils and so So she picked up the, the, the uh, Actually, the business that started in probably in early 1990s and uh, still going and strong is it? now what, what the stencil company okay. isn't that original?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean it's <laughs> and, it's clear what they do.
1: That's right, <laughs> and and uh, the over the years, you know, of course, back in the early days, uh, all the designs were those old things that you saw in the farmer's magazines and so forth, and <coughs> all the stencils that were done in paper. Uh, uh, there was a guy named uh, <coughs> Garrett Ratterink out of uh, Michigan that actually had uh, developed on a cardstock <coughs> Excuse me, and <coughs> excuse me, actually started doing Stencils on a cardstock. So, all those designs that there was nothing original about them, they, they were things they, that had been printed, printed for years. So, these were all done in plastic. So, she started and in time. I then added new designs to it. And then, in time, she's picked up uh, other designers uh, for it. But it's been going now for you know 35, 35 years, it's still going strong. Then, as a result of my involvement, with that that because i was going to quilt shows i then have done uh, some designing of whole cloth quilts for better tax and we were the first they uh, that product was the first time that uh, those had been done in large size in a warts out ink and that was the important thing about mm-hmm. it so i've done that and i i just learned how to draw uh, with it you know uh, basically by copying Thing. So I I I've tended to lean toward that part of quilt making more than that Sure.
0: Well, well, I, I was wondering, um, given the work that you're doing now on the charity quilts and the quilts of valor, do you have favorite notions or rulers or favorite tools that you go back to and again and again?
1: Twenty four inch ruler. The same old folk cutter that I bought in 1979, the 45 millimeter. I do use the 60 occasionally, but I've discovered the new blades.
2: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? New blades make all the difference.
1: <laughs> Listen, the, well, you know, you see them now, the titanium coated. I bought some of those, but uh, if I can mention, I, I bought the OFA Endurance initially. Mm-hmm. And and I do a lot of cutting, and I'm amazed at how long the new ones last. It's worth the money, uh, the the amount of money for this. So that that certainly has been, been an improvement. I, again, a, as a traditionalist, I, I seem to kind of be hesitant about a lot of new sure. stuff. I'm um, I'm not yet into this these new templates. You know that what do you call them templates that you use to do your free motion quilting with? Um, uh, that that's the big thing that's coming on sure. now.
2: Right, pantographs. You mean where you follow them with a laser? Or
1: yeah, those those thing you put down, you get a what a, I don't know what they're yeah. called. You know, I didn't have a class in them, and I figured that I I was more awkward using them. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to draw I wanted to draw the picture, the design on the cloth and do it sure. my way. Yeah. But but it it you know, it's helping people uh, uh, who who didn't feel that they were uh talented or whatever, you know, it's to like do the, the fancy designs. It is helping them. So it you know, as I said earlier, any 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 new thing that comes along, uh we embrace sure. it. Sure. We'll we'll Just like a cook would brace any kind of thing, you know. We buy these new frying pans that you don't have to put (laughs) grease in it. I hear you. Um, Well, well, given your your you know
0: being around the industry and and around quilting since the early seventies, I'm curious: are there um, trends or things that you see coming back or kind of circling around? I know you know, uh, obviously now the 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 modern guild i mean they've been around now for how long i mean over 10 years now um mm-hmm. and you know obviously the the um uh a lot of those modern quilts are you know done with solid
1: fabrics i'm just curious are you seeing trends kind of come and go i'm seeing a lot of of, of sampler quilts that are being shown online and um <coughs> back when we started uh, in, in the early seventies, sampler quilts is what we, we taught mm-hmm. because we, that, that would give the quilt maker exposure to all kinds of techniques. Sure. Then the next thing with all that fabric that was left over, you know, we started seeing medallion quilts. You know, Jenny Byer was, was instrumental uh, in that. And then suddenly we have scrap quilts that start coming in, so it's almost like you know, you know what is a, a normal evolution to use that fabric up with. See, so I'm seeing uh, there's a there's a website called Celebrate Hand Quilting, and uh, they keep pretty much hand quilting, but even on that. In showing what they're doing, I see a lot of, of, the, of the sampler quilt with it. What I'm really into—I could say into now, but giving a lot of attention to—is the recycling issue. Mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, rather than just say we're reusing the scrap thing, and start thinking about you know how we can go ahead and take this and and recycle it and. Um, and and try to um, motivate people instead of just taking that bunch of scraps that's on the table. What can we do with it? And uh, and and focus a little bit on. And I've done some workshops, you know, on that uh, using it, you know, because you know we're into climate change and all kinds exactly. of things. Exactly. Oh. You know, you know, bring bring that in. So a little bit more focused to be more conscious about that. Well, well, where can people find you online if
0: they will if they're interested in you and finding um, more information about you and and what you've done in the quilting world and your quilts?
2: Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> I'm on Wikipedia. Yes,
2: you are.
1: That's crazy. Yes. com. That's great.
0: Well, again, we've been speaking with Hollis Turnbow, a quilter since the 1970s, and it was great speaking to him about his experience with not only the quilts that he's making now, but all that he's seen in the industry. Thanks a lot,
1: Hollis. Glad to be here.
2: Outstanding. It was lovely.